as you're joining me in um, Matthew 13. Matthew 13. Am I on? Just checking. Um, I could have written that song if I had songwriting skills. Because I uh, am very guilty of that. I don't know where you guys are in your Christian walk. Uh, some of you have been saved longer than I have or about the same amount of time or not much less time than I have. Uh, just before we get into the text, I'll confess. Um, there are still times that I come in prayer time and I've got my own agenda that I'm bringing into it. And you know what I'm finding lately? The Lord will not let me advance in prayer with my own agenda. Without, I mean, I, I need to confess I need to worship him and adore him and do thanksgiving. And he just won't let me. I, I, but, Lord, I've got to ask for these things because I know you've got the power. And I need some help. And I'm ready to launch into all this. You know, you, I need your help. And more and more where he has me lately is, not, Jeff, don't come with that. No, nope, don't, nope, not going not gonna to receive it. <laughs> You're going to do these things first. And every time when I do it God's way, it's the best way. It's the best way. Uh, great words to that song. Matthew chapter 13. We have a lot to cover today. Um, we started on this last week. The good thing, if you were here, um, then you'll not need a lot of introduction. If you were not, I would encourage you to go back and listen to last week's uh, message, mainly focusing on verse 10 to 17. Um, but because of that, we're in a transition. I don't need to do a lot of introductory material other than saying this. You ready? We're going through the book of Matthew. In, at the end of chapter 12, Jesus is in a house. And the house is so full that when his own brothers and mother come to visit him, they can't get into the house. It's that crowded. Most of the people in the house are his disciples. And that doesn't mean just the 12. It means people who are his followers, people who believe in him, people who are ready to obey him. So the house is packed. I don't know how full it is. But as he transitions out of the house, no doubt talks to the family, he's going to head to the sea. And as he heads to the sea, the whole dynamic of the crowd will change. The crowd is going to get enormous. I think, this is my opinion, in a moment when we read the words great crowds, I don't think we're talking about hundreds of people. I think we're probably talking about thousands. So much so that as Jesus gets to the sea, you're going to see him have to get onto a boat and get out into the water a little bit, and I believe using the natural amplification of the water to be able to speak to probably thousands of people. The change in the dynamic of the group, when he moves from the house to the sea, not only is it a lot larger crowd, but the type and the makeup of the crowd changes, and so Jesus changes his style to parables. All he's going to talk to this group on this day is only in parables. So without rehashing last week's message, let's just review quickly. A parable means to lay something alongside of, to lay it alongside. It means when there is this truth that someone's wanting to teach, the truth is not yet known. And so one way to teach that truth is to lay something beside it that is well known, that is common. And so we'll take what is known, and by studying the known, we can learn the unknown. And so that's what a parable, it's an earthly story, a common type story that's going to have a spiritual lesson. So the, the goal isn't just to kind of get the, the, the physical earthly story. The point is, what are the spiritual lessons to follow it? 
One last thing before we read the text. The experts who literally know a lot more than I'll know, I'll ever know about the Bible, they tell us that, these are scholars, they tell us that most of Jesus' parables are told with the intention of having one main point. Everything's geared toward one main point. There's probably something to that, but that is not an absolute approach, okay? Jesus, halfway through our reading today, is going to give his disciples, and we get it recorded for us, he's going to give a private interpretation of the parable. So where the average crowd, they don't know the private meaning, they're left to wonder what the meaning was, he's going to give a private meaning to this parable, and we get to read it. Matthew was one of the people present that day, and so the Holy Spirit's caused him to write it down. All right. By Jesus' private interpretation and explanation, we know there are multiple parts to this. And so normally what the experts would say is do not allegorize Jesus' parables where you start over-reading into every little detail and making it this huge thing of significance because you can get out of bounds and end up with some wrong theology. And we want to be careful about that. But today, there's no doubt about it, each of these parts means something because the Lord says that they do. And so here, there is a main point, but the main point is going to come out of these particular four sections that we're going to need to look at this parable. So let's go back to chapter 13. We're going to read verses 1 through 9, though we kind of already touched on that last week. And that will spring us to skip forward to verse 18 to 23, where we're going to spend our time today. So let's read this text. A little bit long, so here we go. Verse 1, that same day, so we know we're connected back to chapter 12. That same day, Jesus went out of the house. Remember, it was crowded, mostly his disciples. He went out of the house and sat beside the sea. That's how people taught in that day. Great crowds, like I said, probably thousands, great crowds gathered about him. So that, so great a crowd, so close to him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables. We're going to learn from the other gospels. He only taught them in parables. Here's the first one, and it's kind of the key one to the rest. It lays the groundwork. We need to understand this one before we really study the others. Here's the first parable. A sower, a farmer. Jesus says a sower, picture him, he's got a strap around his shoulder, and he's got a bag of seed. A sower went out to sow. Don't focus on the meaning of it all yet. Just hear the parable. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, Some seeds fell along the path. So you're already picturing a field. This man is sowing. He's sowing. If you're going to sow everywhere, obviously some will get up on the path. So the beat, this is where people walk. This is beat down. It's hard. It's crushed. The seed's not going to penetrate that. And that's what his point is, verse 4. As he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. The birds are watching. They know full well what's going on. There's going to be some seed on the path. They swoop down and they start gobbling all up. He knows this is happening. Verse 5. Other seeds, so he keeps on sowing. Other seeds fell on rocky ground. I pause again like I did last week. Do not think of this as gravel mixed with dirt. This is large, probably limestone, just below the surface with a little bit of soil. Verse 5. He's sowing. Other seeds fell on rocky ground. Where they did not have much soil, something strange happens. And immediately, the idea of quickly, they sprang up. Oh, this is, looks like this is going to be good. This seed springs up. 
But watch the next word. I think it's key. Since they had no depth of soil. The idea is this spring, this, this sprig is going to shoot up even faster than what we're going to see later on the good ground. It's like this comes up quicker than that. Well, here's the reason why. Since they had no depth of soil. But here's the problem. When the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. They withered away. It's not like President Trump when I just said they withered away. They withered away. Like, you know how you repeat, saying everything. sorry. Where did the, the craziest thing, I'm supposed to be reading the scripture. Verse 7. Other seeds, I really missed. I should have never said that. Now y'all are thinking, see if he does it again. I, I'll try not to do it again. Verse 7. Other seeds fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked them. Get it? There's no room. It chokes them. Other seeds, here's the good news, fell on good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. The idea, do you have spiritual ears to understand the meaning of the parable? You're supposed to stop and contemplate what does Jesus mean by this parable? The crowds are not told, but privately, we're skipping ahead to verse 18. Jesus tells his apostles and some other disciples nearby, Hear then, this word hear means really hear, really hear the parable of the sower. Here he goes. When anyone, remember the birds, the path? When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Oh, that's what that means. Oh, so the seed represents something in verse 19. And now we know what the birds represent that come down and snatch up the seed. Verse 19 again. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart, in his heart. This was his, this was sown what was sown along the path second group as for what was sown on rocky ground this is the one who hears the word and immediately remember how it shot up quickly on the stone this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation, hard times, or persecution caused by people, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Remember, immediately he receives it with joy, and immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, okay, what was that meant to tell us? This is the one, the person, who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. I hope just by reading that, I hope you guys already sense those are two different things. Jesus says they hear the word, but the cares of the world, that's one thing, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one, the person, who hears the word and understands it. 
He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold. In another, sixty. And in the case of another Christian, thirty. There's the parable. Uh, before we look at that, before we go into the four parts, I'm uh, pretty clear here. Let me mention just a few things that ought to be pointed out. Did you already perceive what the seed stands for? I know most of you have studied this before. You know full well. You're like, Jeff, Mark and Luke explicitly say what the seed is. But in verse 19, we already have the hint, so it's very clear. Jesus is saying that the seed represents the Word of God. So if you're taking notes, write that down. So just as a physical seed has physical life in it, guys, literally, the Word of God... When it is preached and taught and proclaimed, not just by a preacher on a Sunday morning behind a podium, but by God's people, as you are sharing God's word, it has life in it. I would also point out, before we look at the four parts, a couple of things about the seed and the sower. Did you notice? The sower is the same, and he's always sowing the seed the same way. The seed never changes. The sower is the same. The problem is not in the seed. You're like, yeah, but you get all these negative results. The se- it's not the problem of the seed. It's not the problem of the sower. The problem is in the soils. That's where the differences come in. Next, I want you to notice this. Just before we look at the four parts, I think it's pretty clear that the original sower of the seed, the Word of God, stands for Jesus himself. And here's one of the main points, guys. Even Jesus, whose message is consistent, even Christ encountered different responses. I mean, this is the Son of God teaching and preaching the Word of God. Even he gets different responses. Some of those responses are often unfruitful. Even Jesus' teaching and preaching is often met with unfruitful responses. So I think right out of the gate, I need to say where we're going to end. You and I are now the sowers. And as we're out sowing the word of God today, 2020, getting ready to be 2021 pretty soon. As we're sowing the word of God, we should expect different responses. Don't be surprised at all of you will encounter these different responses. Guys, I believe this is a snapshot. If you were to learn how to present the gospel and you were to go talk to 100 people in the next three or four months, 100 people, you would encounter, I mean, if you gave a clear, compelling gospel presentation, and 100 people actually listened to it, you would experience all four of these. I think this is a snapshot of what will happen here this day, this, this morning. All of these types of people are represented, I believe, in this building right now. Literally, the way you listen to how I'm speaking and the way you approach the Word of God and then your life moving forward or how your life has already played out before is evidence of what kind of ground you are. You say, Jeff, do you really think? I think when we meet as a church, there's a high concentration of the fourth type of ground, but when you get larger than like a little home group Bible study and you start adding some more and adding some more and anybody can come, and which is great, which is what we want, you're going to get all types of people represented by each of these types of ground. So this is a snapshot. J.C. Ryle writes the following. He says, the preacher, so this is us carrying forth, not just 
someone here, you out sharing the gospel. He says the preacher cannot give life. He may offer the word of truth to people, but he cannot make them receive it and bear fruit to give life is God's solemn prerogative. Notice four things with me this morning. Number one, it's pretty clear how the verses break down. Verse 4 and verse 19, let's focus on verse 19. I'm going to call this the closed-hearted hearer. This is the closed-hearted hearer. They're here this morning. They're already struggling. They're the closed-hearted hearer. These are the people who Jesus says they're the path. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. This is a kind of person. First of all, I have to touch this, and what I'm about to say is as important as any 60 seconds or 90 seconds that I'm going to say today. The word of the kingdom is not just that Jesus Christ is the king, but it's also that he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's the anointed one of God. It's that he's the Savior. If I could say it this way, here is the word of the kingdom. Here it is. We're all sinners. The Bible says all have sinned. Somebody needs to hear this. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us. There is none righteous. No, not one. We've all sinned. Okay, yeah, we've all sinned. Everybody does it. So then we're all in the same group. But here's the problem. Our sin offends a holy God. God cannot let us go to heaven. He is sinless. It's against his nature. You will not go to heaven with your sin. Furthermore, it's worse than that. God's holy just nature demands that he punishes sin. The Bible says, the soul that sins shall die. The Bible says, the wage, the price, the payment for sin is death. That's why you don't know anybody 125 years old. We all die. You're going to die physically. You say, well, I don't know that. I, you're going to die physically. But worse than that is there's spiritual death, separation from God because of our sin. God must punish that. But then the word of the kingdom is called the gospel. It's the good news. Here's the good news. God pitied sinners so much that in eternity past, he determined to send his one and only son, the eternal son of God, that was not a human being. He caused him to enter time and space. He became a man. We call his name Jesus. 2,000 years ago, he was born. And yet he was still God the son. Why did he send him into the world? To take our sins, lots of reasons, the main reason he sent him, to take all of our sins upon himself and to die upon a cross. And as great as that is, that's still not the rest of the gospel. The word of the kingdom is that Jesus' death on the cross is so sufficient to pay for all of our sins, all of your sins, that God has said, there's nothing left for you to do. I give you salvation for free. I give it to you for free. But you must believe that promise and receive Christ as your Savior. You have to repent of your old way of thinking. It'll affect a new life in you, but it is by faith. So here's the problem. This group of people hears the word of the kingdom, but they don't understand. Somewhere in what I just said, there's a disconnect. It may be they don't understand any of it, or maybe they don't understand sin isn't really that bad, or I don't believe God's going to judge, or I don't see how one man dying 2,000 years ago is going to help me today. Somewhere there's a disconnect, or they understand all of that, but I've got to do something, and they just have a disconnect on grace. You say, okay, so they don't understand. Is that a big deal? If you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the big problem. Not only do they not understand, that's a problem because understanding 
is an essential part of faith. We are saved only by God's grace. Our faith, that has to match. Part of our faith is understanding the parts of the gospel. You need to understand the gospel. I've said over and over, I'll say it again. Faith is not in nothing. Faith is in something. Faith is in someone. And so the problem with this person is they do not understand. There's a disconnect somewhere. Would you raise your hand if you were here last week? I just want to kind of quick gauge. Raise your, you were here last week. Wow, like 90%. Do y'all remember the two reasons why people don't understand? Verse 15. They refuse. You say, Jeff, do you think somebody like that's here this morning? Probably. You say, why do they not understand? They refuse to hear and understand. They refuse to hear and understand. But also verse number 11 taught us that they have an inability they have an inability to understand. God has to give them the ability to understand. God has to like quicken their soul, their spirit, so that they can understand. So they have an inability, but they also have a refusal. Now, guys, there's the theological reasons. I want to just for a moment give you the practical reasons. You know how that plays out? Here's why some people are closed-hearted hearers. It really boils down to this often. Some people are just too undisciplined to listen. They're just too undisciplined to listen. They can't. I mean, it's just like, they're, they're struggling. I have lost them probably, or maybe they're barely hanging on. Or right now, just by me saying that, they're taking that, is that a challenge? Uh, then I'm going to keep focusing. Good, it worked. Good. I dare you to keep listening. The crazy thing, though, they can watch their favorite version of news for an hour and learn all the arguments of why they are on the side they're on. They can watch a football game for three hours and remember the stats. They can watch their favorite series on Netflix, and before they know it, episode after episode has just flown by. It's four and a half hours later, and it's 1.30 in the morning, and they've got to make themselves go to bed, and they can remember all the details. But to listen for an hour or 45 minutes, even 30 minutes, whatever it may be, to wherever they're hearing the gospel, that is such a struggle for them. They have a closed-hearted hearer. Others, it's this. Some people don't hear because they're bitter at God. Some, it's this. I don't know if I even believe in God. Others, I'm opposed to God. I don't like how he's done things. Other Guys, I'm getting ready to hit on a big one. Here's a big one. Some people don't accept and receive the word of God because they refuse to be convicted about their sin. They're too proud to be convicted about their sin. And so they don't listen. They don't receive the word of God. Their heart's too hard. They'll admit, oh, I have sin, and there probably is a God. But somewhere they must think he's going to let it slide one day. I've heard about him sending his son. I'm going to take my chances on, the, on my own. I'll be okay. They have a wrong view. Here, here it is. They hear about Jesus dying on a cross and being crucified for them, and it just meets total indifference. doesn't move the needle at all. It gets worse. Notice the second part of verse number 19. Not only do they not understand, the Bible says the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. The evil one comes. Do you know who the evil one is? Remember the birds? Mark and Luke make it very, very clear that the evil one is the devil, Satan. You say Satan literally goes all around the world and 
It's the idea of his workers, demonic forces. These are like the birds. So I want to present something to you. I think it was about a year and a half ago we were down at the beach, right? So I just like to sit under the umbrella and watch the waves roll in. I forget who, how many there were, but probably about 20 yards away from us was the next group of people. And they had all moved down to the water. And up by their chairs, they had their bags and they had their food in it. No joke, these seagulls had made their way up under their umbrella and had picked out the bags of potato chips or popcorn, whatever it was. I went over there. By the time I went over there and ran them off, people down there have no clue that I'm over in their stuff. The top was not opened. Nor the bottom was open. These birds had split the side of the bag. And so I had to put them under some stuff and try to tell them, like, look, birds are in your stuff. I don't know if you want to eat it or not. These birds are so smart, they figured out these, whatever these creatures are, they bring good stuff when they come to the beach. And if you're going to leave, we're going to investigate. Jeff, what's your point? Don't you think birds figured out that sowers were sowing seed? Don't you think they knew that the seed was falling by the wayside and on the path? Can I propose this to you? You say, Jeff, I don't know that I'm buying that. Sounds a little over the top. If you're taking notes, I'm going to propose this to you. Just as birds would follow a sower expecting some seed to fall on the path, I believe demons follow certain people and attend certain churches where they know these people regularly present the gospel. Just like the birds know where the seed's at, demons know where the gospel seed is being put. If you are a person who regularly shares the gospel, I don't know if they have one assigned to you, or I don't know if they pass off, he's in your region now, she's coming your way, I don't know how they do it. Mark it down, they're pursuing you. They want to intercept your work. That's why prayer is so crucial. Y'all have heard me say it over and over. I sound like a broken record. This morning about 10 after 5, I was praying that the Lord would remove demonic forces from our buildings and our property, and I began at my own house. Guys, I'm going to plead with you. Don't let me be the only one who's doing that. Pray with me. Pray against these beings. You say, I'm going to share the gospel with someone. Pray against these beings that they will not be able to rob what has been put before someone. I believe they'll do anything. I've seen the craziest things. I, I'm not going to say it's always that. I'm not saying it's always that. I wouldn't put it past demons to use a bee, a bee, a wasp. Uh-oh, they're listening. They don't understand yet, but if they keep on listening, and all of a sudden, person's trying to listen, and there's a wasp, and it's got their attention. A baby. A cute baby, look at you, or a crying, screaming baby, and they'll use that. A squeal in the sound system. I mean, nothing changes. Nothing changes up here. Person back there hadn't touched it in in thirty minutes. All of a sudden, the biggest squeal will come over the sound system you've ever heard. You say you really think phone alerts, phone alert, bing, bong, bing. Right person sitting here. And out of the blue, you say, Jeff, you don't really think that they're driving this. I have no doubt whatsoever. I'm not saying it's every time. But how many times do they realize, oh, no, they're listening? And they literally, you say, Jeff, come on. They go to someone else, somewhere else, call so-and-so, because they're trying anything. Get, 
Make that baby cry. Bring the person in here. Your child, mom and dad's about to hear the gospel. Hurry, make their child cry. Let's create an emergency. You say, Jeff, do you seriously believe the... Oh, absolutely. Have no doubt. Look at that person's hair. Notice that person's fashion. Oh, look at that dude struggling to stay awake. Don't listen to that anymore. Here's the crazy thing. How to escape hell is being spoken, but all these people want to think about are lunch plans... And when is the service going to be over? Hard-hearted. Number two. Verses 20 and 21. <clears throat> I'll go ahead and acknowledge, which is fine, the Lord's sovereign. The voice this morning is really struggling already. You're probably picking that up. So I'll try to tone it down, and we'll go as far as we possibly can. Not sure why that's happening. Would you notice with me verse 20 and 21? Can I label it this way? We know we're talking about the stony ground I'm going to refer to them as the emotional the emotional and undiscerning hearer this is the emotional hearer and the undiscerning I'm not going to try to be mean here I'm just going to try to be straightforward and this is where I'll probably come across as mean to somebody that's not the goal I just want to preach what I think this text is telling us look again at verse number 20 as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises, on account of the word, immediately he falls away. I pointed out, I'm going to have you look with your eyes. Do you have your Bible open? Look back at verse 5. Look back at verse 5. Go back about seven words or so. You see the word since, S-I-N-C-E. I think that's a key word. Why does, when the seed hits the ground, why does this stalk or shoot come up so quickly? The idea, even more quickly than normal. Apparently, even more quickly than, as I said before, the good ground. Guys, it is since they have such shallow soil. There is no soil in this person. It comes upward. The energy goes upward, outward, public, because there's no depth of soil internally. Normally, what would happen is a root system starts to, just a little fledgling, this little bulb or seed breaks open. Something is starting underneath the ground well before you see anything above the ground, but not in this case. Every, the energy goes upward instead of downward since they have no depth of soil. If I could say it, I'm not talk, I don't think I'm talking about intelligence. This person may have a measure of intelligence, but they're just shallow. They don't have any depth to them. I'll explain that more in a moment, but here's what happens. They hear the gospel, which I gave just a few minutes ago. They hear that, and they respond, and they give a public evidence of spiritual life. Public evidence. Maybe it's a raised hand. Maybe it's a signed card or a meeting with someone to tell them, I did that. I have taken Christ as my Savior. Maybe it's a baptism. Maybe it's attending church. Maybe it's attending church a lot. Maybe it's going to a Bible study. So this person gives public evidence of spiritual life. Here's the problem. There's no private substance of actual spiritual life. Now I'll go ahead and tell you, time may very well tell not if this person is here today. Oh, they are. It's not an if. Time will no doubt tell who they are that is here today. What's the problem? 
Some people are compulsive. Do you know that some people are compulsive in their speech? Thought hits brain, mouth opens, words start coming out. They don't stop and think the ramifications of what they're going to say. Their social media posts are just littered with half-baked ideas. Get idea? Don't think about what this could mean, how it's going to come across. Just rattle it off. And sometimes it comes with a cost. I think we've seen that nationally. Just don't think. Every now and then may make a great point. But all these others were just half-baked. Dumb things to say. Some people are compulsive in their spending. Don't need it. Maybe can't afford it, but that doesn't matter. No question, do I really need that? Can I afford that? What will I even do with that? Doesn't matter. Look, it's on the commercial. And it's on sale. They've got it in the window. I need, some people are compulsive in their hobbies. Not only are their social media posts littered with half-baked ideas, their garage is littered with barely used equipment. Right? Their closet is filled with hardly worn clothing and shoes. Why? They're just compulsive. Guys, ladies, that is one thing, but when you're compulsive when it comes to religion, this has enormous ramifications. Some people, again, if you're taking notes, these people are quick to make an outward show of religion, but they've not counted the costs of actually following Jesus. There's no deep repentance of their sin. There's no deep repentance in change of thought toward the Lord Jesus and not just taking him as Savior, but also as Lord. They haven't really done that. And they haven't really turned again from their sin or a right view of themselves or a right view of the Savior. There's been no deeper. You say, Jeff, what happens with these people? There's a very shallow head knowledge that results in a very quick emotional outburst, an emotional response to the gospel. Here's the problem. All of that initial excitement just fizzles out when, like, a few things happen. Here's one. Trials. I think some people really think, but I became a Christian. I thought trials were over. Trials hit. They made a profession of faith, been going down to the church, got all excited, got baptized, a member at the church. But trials hit, and you don't find them. Others, they're hanging out with Christians but as true Christians start digging into the word, and God's word calls true, watch, true Christians to sacrifice, not to sacrifice to become a Christian, not to sacrifice to get saved, but because of God's salvation, we sacrifice. All of a sudden, they don't like this sacrifice. I'm experiencing trials. Now you call them for sacrifice. Turning from sin, true Christians want to become more and more godly and holy. All of a sudden, they don't want any part of that. And then you let the big one, persecution, start hitting. Oh, it's coming. If you haven't picked up, I think just recently, the door for persecution is cracking open more than it's ever been in our country for the, for, for the true church. You know what's going to happen? When that starts coming, you're going to see people start just drifting away from the church at a higher rate, perhaps, than we've seen before. Look at the end. I'm almost done with this group. Look at the end of verse 6. Look at, look at uh, the end of verse 6. Look at the last three words. You got your Bible? They withered away. They withered away. Guys, I think this, these three words... Describe the spiritual experience, or lack thereof, of many people 
who are on church rolls all across America. Churches all across America have these membership roles. By the way, you can be on the church on, on the role of a local church. That doesn't mean you're automatically going to go to heaven. That doesn't mean that your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. You don't go to heaven by being a member of a local church. You say, Jeff, do you think Graceview has any people on its list of membership that fits into the second category? I have no doubt. I can name some names. Seriously, I can name some names of people. They came here about three and a half years ago. I talked to them personally. They were all excited, wanted my time all the time. This and that looked great. Haven't found them since in about the last three and a half years. Be clear, I am not talking about people who are going to another church, who are worshiping God somewhere else with another group of believers. I'm not talking about people who are watching right now online and are still connected with us and still supporting us in, in very clear ways. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about those who are nowhere to be found in any church. You say, Jeff, what do you think happened to them? They quit just as easily as they started because they were never saved. You say, Jeff, you have no right to say that. Flip over 1 John chapter 2. Go there, 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, very plain speech, not my words. First John chapter 2, notice verse 19, and you go back and mark it and study it, write the reference on your handout, you go back and study it, put it in context, this is, John is known for his plain speech, he doesn't pull punches, notice this text. Notice the prepositions, if I could point your attention there. Verse 19, they went out from us, but they from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. We have three prepositions, from, of, with. Obviously, they started with us, they might be here, sitting here right now. Oh, look, you're with us. But they won't be for long. They went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain. John says, they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. It's real clear. They're gone and gone and gone and came in. Heard, got all emotional, made a few steps, hard times hit, sacrifices called for in the Christian life, maybe a little persecution, you can't find them. They were never saved. They're the stony ground hearers. Back to Matthew 13. Third group. It's verse 7, it's also noticed verse 22. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is where we get a little controversial. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Can I just, before I hit this, can I throw out two things? Two major differences, because as I read this over and over this week, I'm thinking there's a lot of similarity between the second and third group, this stony ground and the thorny ground. A lot of similarities, they kind of end up almost like the same. Can I point out two differences? Difference number one is that what drives them away? The stony ground are driven away by life's hardships, whereas we could say the thorny ground here, they are the ones who are actually 
kept away, not so much driven. They don't ever really start. They're kept away partly by life's good things. These people, hardship of life, I'm out. These people, I don't know that I'm ever going to start because I've got all these good things of life. What's this third group? Notice with me. The selfish and distracted hearer. The selfish and distracted hearer. They're selfish and they're also very distracted. The previous person's very emotional but not discerning. There's no depth. They're a shallow person. This person has maybe more depth to them. Apparently they do, but their life is so crowded. Second difference between these two groups, if I could offer this. Watch. Do you remember? Watch. The stony ground hearer responds very quickly. This thorny ground hearer, though, here's his problem. His main issue or her main issue is, and I believe this is it. I'm going to say it over and over. They responded quickly, but this person, for them, now is just never a good time to get right with God. Now is never a good time to get right with God. The other person was ready to get right with God, at least outwardly, made a show of it immediately, quickly, first time. These people, now is not a good time. I think that's, I could almost stop right there and say that's what sums this group up. Watch. Now's not a good time to get right with God. Okay, okay, wait, wait, listen. In their mind, they fooled themselves. You know, I think seven days from now will be a good time to get right with God. Do y'all know what seven days from now is? It is a week. Watch, I'm, I'm going to play with words. Seven days from now, you know what it is when we get there? It is now. Now, right now, seven days from now is seven days from now. When you get there, it will be now. And so when this person gets there, when they thought that this would be a good time, all right, how about now? Well, no, no, not, not now is just not a good time. Uh, maybe a month from, you get a month from now, and that will be now. Right now, it's a month from now. But when you get there, it'll be now, and it's just not a good time. Now is now, and now is not a good time. They're probably in the building. These people also can be religious, but they'll only go so far. They're probably not going to look as fervent as the other group did because they're just kind of got that lukewarm plodding along. About the only fruit you'll see in their life is that maybe they'll come hang out with the true good ground hearers and believers every now and then. Two hindrances keep them back. I'll be brief. Do you already sense the difference? If this was Wednesday night, guys, I'm telling you, we'd have a handout, and I'd give you about three minutes, and I'd say, write down the difference between what you think, the cares of this life, and then over here, let's write, what do you think are the deceitfulness? What is the deceitfulness of riches? What is it deceiving? What's the thought that it's telling? What is the cares of this life? What is the anxiety of life? What is the worries of this life? And guys, I think it's just simple. I think it's simple. So I'm going to fly through this paragraph. Here it is. The cares of life is the daily schedule. It's just, I mean, the daily, just, it's busy. I know I need to get right with God, and it's something I really want to do. I just got a lot going on right now. Now is not a good time. Watch. They're so busy, they're worn out. Their mind is just consumed. I just need some time off. 
I just need some time off to gather my, I just need some entertainment. Entertainment dominates these people. Leisure dominates these people. Sports dominates the mind. I love sports. You guys know, if I'm watching television, at least two-thirds of what I'm watching is sports. I probably am going to, I shouldn't even say it. I'll probably go home and watch something in a little bit. I shouldn't have said it, and now somebody's going to check their phone. Don't you dare check your phone. If you do, your person will hit it into the water. <laughs> Don't check your phone. But these people are so consumed with, here it is, not just sports. I mean, it's like, okay, okay, got it. When do you think about God? I ain't got time to think about God. Why? I've got to pay the bills. I've got to pay these. I've got these crazy hours. I've got to put all this work in. Don't you understand? I've got to pay. Over here's one. Family concern. I got to run by the school. I've got to get the kids. Got to take them over to practice. While they're at practice, got to run a couple of errands if I can. Swing back by, pick them up, get them to the house, get, run them through the shower, make sure they're doing that. While I'm starting supper, they need to get started on their homework. Going to take a break from homework to actually eat and have a quick little family time together. Then they're going to finish up homework. We're going to have the last little part of the day. And then they're going to go to bed and we're going to do it all over again tomorrow. It's just crazy. I ain't got time to think about God right now. I've just got too much going on. I'm going to do it. It's really needed. Others, if you knew how busy at work I was, I've got this deadline. Others, it is literally politics. Politics. They are consumed. Who really won the election? What's carrying on over here? Are there going to be enough votes to be invalid? Will the Supreme Court take? They are consumed with this. And again, so I see you're passionate about all of these things. When do you think about the Lord Jesus Christ? When do you think about your eternal life? I don't have time for that. Now let me read my list one more time, and y'all tell me which one of these are the evil things. Daily schedule, entertainment, sports and leisure and paying the bills and family concerns, busyness at work and crazy deadlines and politics. Which one of those are evil of themselves? None. Write it down. Cares of this life are not always easy. It's just that they blind people to the great care they should be given to the next life. What is so sad, hell, hell is literally a breath away for these people, but they're just caught up in this life. The second part of verse 22, Jesus gives us the other things, and he says it's the deceitfulness of riches. I'm not going to develop this. I'm going to do the short version. Earthly wealth lies to us. What is the lie? Nail it down in your mind. It's deceitful. It promises something, but it's a lie. It can't deliver on its promise. Can I just give you what I believe in a condensed version? You with me? Earthly wealth lies to these people by trying, and us, even Christians, by trying to convince us that what it can buy, you can buy things with wealth. The lie is that what it can buy is more satisfying and more valuable than what Jesus is calling you to. I'll do better. I'm just as good. And it's in this life. You go ahead and get a head start. You can touch the things here. Go all in on me. Cares of life and the deceitfulness of riches are constantly vying for our attention and our allegiance. Do you give it to it? It's a lie. It's lying to you. I highly doubt anyone here, I highly doubt it, I'm 99.9% .9 sure, 
that anyone here has 10 or 15 million dollars sitting in the bank. If so, we need to go to lunch and you're buying, okay? I really don't think that is in our church. Would you pretend with me? If you had 15 million dollars sitting in the bank, can I promise you, it will not buy you lasting peace. You're still going to get sick. You're still going to have relational struggles. The people you love are going to get sick. They're going to die, and you're going to die. It will not. Bigger than that, if you had $15 million, and I mean you have so much money, you never touched the $15 million. You're only living off the $750,000 interest every year. You're scraping by on the $750,000 interest. You never touched the principal. I'll promise you this. It cannot buy you a place in heaven. It's a lie. Oh, no, go all in on me. It's a lie, and these people believe it. And that takes us to verse 23. The last group is the receptive and fruitful hearer. This is the receptive and fruitful hearer. We've had these other, we've got closed-hearted. we got the emotional, but they don't discern. They just jump in. They quit very quickly. And you got these that are selfish, and they're very distracted. And so they don't get right with God. Now you have verse 23. Look at it. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, in another, sixty, and in another, thirty. Y'all know me, and I have to state the obvious first. These who are called the good ground are inherently no better than anybody in the other three groups. They are no better. So don't read that like, oh, these are the good people. They have the same sin nature. They have just as much baggage and sin in their past. They love sin in and of themselves. If you were to take each of these groups all around the world, put them all in groups and say, how much sin does this group, this group? The fourth group does not have any less sin than any of the others. Further, the only reason they are receptive, the reason they're receptive is that God in his omniscient and, and omnipotent sovereignty willed these people. Four things. He willed them to hear the gospel. When they hear it, they do understand it. They accept it. And then they trust it. And that's the difference between them. But here they're called the good ground. Now, I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but I know a lot of you are in the same boat as me. Many of you have read this before. You've read it in the other Gospels, Mark or Luke, particularly Luke. And you're like me. And I'll guarantee you if I said raise your hand, some of you are like, Jeff, I've always wondered about this third group. They really puzzle me. So now before we look at the fourth group, I need to tie back to those thorny ground hearers. Have you ever wondered? Don't raise your hand. Uh, John and I, we talked about this even on Monday, John Martinez and I. Are the thorny ground, I'm going back to them, is that actually a word, a group of people that is representative of saved people who just never quite become all that they could have been for the Lord? Is that what the thorny ground group is? Remember the cares of this life and riches? Are they really saved but they just don't ever become what they... Are these people that when they get to heaven are going to have some regrets... But hey, at least they get to heaven. Are they kind of what we would call carnal Christians? Yeah, they don't have a lot of fruit. 
and really nobody at work would know that they're a Christian. Pretty much the only thing is when you bring it up at a family gathering or you see them and get together and you ask them about their salvation, they know the right words, and so they give the positive answer, oh, yes, they've trusted Christ. Other than that, there's real no fruit whatsoever. But are they really true Christians? Guys, my opinion, if I didn't, if I only had Luke's version of this, I would probably lean that way, but I don't lean that way. This is my opinion. We could disagree. You say you don't. I'm going to give you a few reasons. Before that, could I throw this out? Is it possible that perhaps, and some of you, I am going to have you raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've ever wondered if the third group, the Thorny Ground Hearers, are actually Christians. Raise your hand if you've ever wondered that. Lots, about everybody who's read your Bible read that. You've wondered, hold on, I know this fourth. Are these third? Where are, is there a chance? Guys, could it be that perhaps we want that view we want that to be the right view because that will help us feel better about somebody that we know and love. Well, that will help us feel better about ourselves. I'm just thorny ground here. I'm just a carnal Christian. I know I need to get right with God. and I, I plan on coming back to church. I'm not talking to you about church. I'm talking to you about salvation. Yeah, I know. No, you don't. You say, Jeff, why do you think these are not true Christians? If you're taking notes, get ready to write this down. Catch it. All four of these groups of people are said to hear the word. All four. You could go back and look. Verse 19. I think it's verse 20, and then verse 22, and then verse 23. All four hear the word. Only this group understands. And obviously, only this group actually bears fruit. They're the only ones. I know you're writing, but I'm going to throw this out. Could I offer that in Mark and Matthew, the different levels of fruit indicates they are the only ones who were truly saved. That's why we have the different levels. Can we agree there's a big difference between 100-fold and 30-fold? This one's doing over three times as much fruit as that one. I think that's pointing to different levels of fruitfulness. Among Here's what I find. This view actually shows me what I see in the real world. Some Christians are more fruitful than other Christians. That's what I see. But I also notice this in verse 23. This is important. All three levels of productivity are called good ground. All three are called the good ground. And so that's why I think these are the ones. I'll go further. Every Christian here knows this. All Christians struggle against their old sin nature. Even though it was killed and crucified on the cross and dead, even in its death, it still tries to tempt us to do the old dead things. And because Christians have the new Holy Spirit in us that changes our spirit, there's this constant battle for the rest of our life. But there's a battle. The other people don't have the battle on the inside. So we battle the old nature. All Christians battle the old nature. But I know this. I, can't, I don't have time to defend it. The New Testament teaches that every true Christian is sanctified by God and made holy. Every true Christian, sanctified by God, made holy, made fruitful, and they grow. If they don't, can I propose to you, if you never see spiritual growth, you never see spiritual fruit, it's because there's no spiritual life. Dead things don't grow. I've said it over and over. I used to tell my seventh graders, I used to be on a test, dead things don't grow. I get corny. I, use, I always use the pulpit. I will not come back next week and this pulpit be this high. 
You will not come back next week in the chair that you're currently sitting in. Now your feet are dangling where right now they touch the floor. Man, the thing grew over. It's like one of those things that ocean lakes, man, like a huge chair all of a sudden. It's not going to grow because it's dead. Dead things don't grow, but in the same way, life will always make itself evident. Life always makes... Dad wrestling on the floor with Junior. Little three-year-old punches him. Dad plays dead. Closes his eyes. Holds his breath. Give it time. Signs of life will come. Has to. So if you're taking notes. What is this fruit? God produces fruit in true Christians. Fruit like what? You have four categories. I'm going to fly through them. Go with me if you would. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 15. Hebrews 13 verse 15. I can't remember if I have the verse first or not. I couldn't remember. Probably not. Anyway. Look at verse 15. Through him, Jesus... Then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. What is fruit? The sacrifice of praise to God. The writer of Hebrews says, through Christ. Jeff, what's the context here? Here's the context. Jesus died outside of Jerusalem as a sacrifice to God for our sins, because of that, we don't offer any more animal sacrifices. I've never offered an animal sacrifice. Don't need to. I'm not going to offer an animal sacrifice to God. But we're called to offer the sacrifice of praise to God because that's the fruit of lips that acknowledge Him. I think the fifth song on the playlist this week was by Third Day. You know what it says? I want to sing a song for you, Lord. I want to sing a song. Can I ask you, if you profess to be a Christian, could it be said of you that you offer to God, not animal sacrifices, but you genuinely offer a sacrifice of praise to God in private, in song, in public? Guys, with all the Christian music, you say, well, I don't like that style or that style, or I don't even like what you guys do here at Grace View. That is fine. But if with all the Christian music that is out there and available, if there's nothing in you that draws you to have that and sing it to the Lord and to sing it about the Lord and then to go get with a group of people and sing with them, sing it in private, sing it in public, praise the Lord in private prayer. If, if that's not happening, something is seriously wrong. You are not fruitful in that area. Secondly, very quickly, there's a change of inner character. This is Galatians chapter 5. We know this passage, so I'll just read it. What is the spiritual fruit? This hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Listen to me. When the Holy Spirit comes in a Christian, you cannot hide the Holy Spirit. He's going to make changes. He's going to leave evidence and byproduct of His presence. Does this describe your life? You say, but not perfectly right imperfectly does this describe a change that has been happening in you since you got saved the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace it's the craziest thing all this is happening there's an inner calm there's a spiritual well-being love joy peace patience 
Just keep on enduring. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, not like the second group. Faithfulness, gentleness, not demanding your rights. Being gentle and meek toward people. Self-control. used to have no self-control. The Holy Spirit's given you self-control against such. There is no law. Flip over to Philippians chapter number 1. We'll find a third area of fruit. The Bible is clear. Paul is praying for the Philippians. He says, my prayer, I want your love to abound. I want you to have knowledge and discernment. Because I want you to know the difference between, watch, the bad, don't do that, the good, the better, but the excellent. I want you to focus on the excellent, because if you will, verse 11, I'm praying that you Philippians will be filled with the fruit of righteousness. So what's on the inside, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, guys, give it time. It's going to come out. There will be a change in behavior. A change of behavior is the fruit of a true Christian. A change, an internal change of your character on the inside. That's a, that's a change. That's fruit of a true Christian. Praising the Lord from the heart. You say, I'm not a very good singer. Who cares? Praising the Lord from the heart, in your prayers, in your songs, with your life. That's the sign of the fruit of a, good, of a true Christian. Go to Romans for the last one. Romans chapter 1, verse number 13. Paul is in another city in the Roman Empire, and he writes to the capital city of the Roman Empire, to the Christians there. Look what he writes in verse 13. Romans 1, 13. Here's a fourth kind of fruit that is undeniable. Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, brothers and sisters. I've often intended to come to you. Over and over, Paul wanted to go to Rome, but thus far have been prevented. God just wouldn't let him go to Rome. Paul, why do you want to go to Rome? Watch. In order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul, do you need to go to Rome to be holy on the inside? Do you need to go to Rome to live a godly life on the outside? Do you need to go to Rome to praise God with other Christians? No. Paul is saying, I want to go to Rome because I want to win spiritual converts. I want to win people to God. Do you see those four areas? So from now to when I'll be done in a moment, a few moments, it's applying today's text. The rest is applying what we've heard. Do you have that list? Because the list as a whole is not going to be on the screen. Do you have those four things? Here they are again. Sacrifice of praise. A genuine change of character on the inside. The Holy Spirit does. A genuine change of behavior on the outside. And spiritual converts in life. I'm, I'm going to ask you guys... Because it is so important, be ruthlessly honest with yourself. All of you who would say, if I said, raise your hand, if you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you die, you're going to go to heaven. You've put your faith and trust in Jesus. You are an absolute true Christian. You know it 100%. All of you who would raise your hand, would you answer this question? Do you have those fruit in your life? Do you have that fruit, even imperfectly, which we would all have, very imperfectly, is there evidence in your life that you love God? You, can you honestly say, oh, I praise the Lord. I don't know, I'm not asking if you put your hand up. I'm not asking you if you clap and all that. I'm, it should be great. I'm not saying that. What I'm asking is, can you honestly say, oh, I praise the Lord. It is genuine and real. If you're sitting there like, no, nah, I never really do that. Okay, then mark that off the list. Has your life changed on the inside? If not, mark that off the list. 
Has your behavior changed? If the people who knew you before and now after you say that you've become a Christian, have they seen a change that's so noticeable that they're like, well, what in the world happened to you? If it is no, mark that off, off the list. Here's a big one. Every Christian needs to answer this. How many people can you point to and say, by God's work and God's grace, I have been used to affect those people's lives by my words, my testimony, my life, my evangelism, my sowing the seed of the gospel in their life. I have people that I can point to and say they've been influenced, influenced either to become a Christian or to become more like Christ through discipleship. If you're sitting there like a bump on a log with nobody coming to your mind, you should have a lot of questions. We are all called to share the gospel. This is not something that hired people at the church do. We all share the gospel. You know the message of this? When we share the gospel, you're going to get different responses. You're going to get different responses. But share the gospel. I think, so as we're applying, I think there's two main takeaways. Christians, be fruitful. Be fruitful. Paul told the Philippians, not just in my presence, not just in my absence or in my presence. He says, but work outward your salvation. It is God that works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God puts a will to do his good pleasure. Obey that, Paul tells the Philippians in chapter 2. Obey that. Do it. So can I say, you say, what do you mean be fruitful? As God is working in you, work with him. Work with him. Jeff, why do you think some people are more fruitful Christians than others? Some Christians work with God more consistently as he's working in them. And some just, yeah, I know I need to do that and I ought to do that. And they'll walk out here today content with 30-fold or 20-fold or 10-fold. Christians, be fruitful. Christians, now I'm mainly talking to you who, by God's grace, you say, it's not me. But God has used me to affect people. And God has given me ministries. Can I talk to you just for a second? The main takeaway of this whole parable, you know what it is? It's not just be fruitful. It's as you're being fruitful, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Some people are going to discard your ministry. Keep sowing the seed. Some are going to discard it. Some are going to look good for a little while. I've got them on my list. Man, I celebrated them. I wrote them in a little calendar in there. I could go back and say, that's when I led them to the Lord. That was a great day. And now I'm 99% sure they're not even saved. Don't be discouraged by that. Don't be discouraged by the people who always look like they've got such great potential, but they're always choked by the cares of life and the deceitfulness of riches. Be encouraged. If you will keep working with the Lord in obedience and relying on His power, good ground will develop fruit. They will get saved. Can I just give you a quick warning about those people, though? They're still human. They're going to blow it, and they're going to mess up, and they're going to grow at their own rate. But you're going to have good ground. I had this in your note, and I didn't have room. We cannot perceive by looking at someone what kind of soil they are. 
I ain't going to waste my time telling that person. <laughs> I ain't going to tell them about Jesus. I can tell. That's a hard-hearted person. No, you cannot tell. No one walks around with a sign that says, don't waste your time giving me the gospel. I'm closed-hearted. No one has a sign that says, you're wasting your time. I'm shallow. I'll look good for a while, but I'll quit. Or, I love earthly things too much. And by the way, nobody has a sign that says, I'm not saved yet, but I'm good ground. If you'll tell me the gospel, I'll respond, and I'm going to be really fruitful. But they're out there. Tell them. Tell them. We're all called to share the gospel. Dever writes the following. I'm, I'm, I'm almost done. Dever writes, the message of the parable is that some people will respond to the gospel and some will not. Even though all hear the same message. Please tune into this. This is a good quote. I only have two today and this one's the better one. I wouldn't waste your time if it wasn't. He says, we cannot finally judge the correctness of what we do in evangelism by the immediate response that we see. We cannot judge the correctness. Now, let me include here. Can you, Christian, everybody in here, if you say you're a Christian, can you give an accurate presentation of the gospel? Can you give a compelling presentation of the gospel? You say, I, I think I give an accurate, I don't know how compelling. Then there are studies and there are things you can do, and we'll probably return to that, maybe in January on Wednesday nights, Lord willing, if this virus will just tone down. Because we need to get to this. This is something the Lord's already been laying on my heart for weeks now. Where are we at on our evangelism? Learn a compelling gospel presentation. Learn an accurate one. But even there, here's your last note. Dever writes, the biblical teaching is that conversions, you're like, conversions, now that's what we're after. Hang on. The biblical teaching is that conversions are not a result of our evangelistic proficiencies. Well, I must be really good at it. <laughs> you know, I've won all these people to the Lord. Over here's Joe Schmo. Boy, he's the best evangelist ever lived. Everywhere he goes, there's 20, 30 people get saved every week. Careful, don't get proud. The biblical teaching is that conversions are not the result of our evangelistic proficiencies. Just as resistance to the gospel is not a reflection of our evangelistic failures. Well, what if they don't respond? And what if they don't respond? What if they resist? Are you giving an accurate presentation of the gospel and is as compelling as you can? But they didn't get saved. And, and I'm like over 12. And it's been months. And I've been faithfully. Keep on being faithful. The last part of his quote. And I'm going to actually skip that James verse. Grace View Dever says, we don't fail in our evangelism. This is important. We don't fail in our evangelism if we faithfully present the gospel and yet the person is not converted. We fail only if we don't faithfully present the gospel at all. This room right now is full of people who praise the Lord. They're genuinely saved. They praise the Lord. God's working on the inside. And their life has changed. 
but they've never one time faithfully presented the gospel. It's time. It's time to take that next step. You get one life. You're here to influence other people toward Christ. You say, no, I'm here to praise the Lord. You can praise the Lord better when you get to heaven. He has you here now for a reason. He has me here for a reason. Grace for you. We are all to be sowers of the gospel. James chapter 1 verse 22 says, do not be hearers of the word. I come every week, Jeff. I really listen, and I get a lot out of it, and I take great notes. Praise the Lord. I am so thankful for you. I promise. But don't just be hearers of the word, be doers. Because if we're not a doer of the word, James says we deceive ourselves. The word deceive in James chapter 1 verse 22 means you've made a major miscalculation. A major miscalculation. It is not enough to just hear. Do we do? Don't be discouraged. Be fruitful. Even Jesus had different responses to his ministry. Would you bow your heads just for a moment? Close your eyes. Thankful to the Lord for allowing our voice to hold up, though some of you may have wished it would have gone out. Heads bowed, eyes closed, just before I pray, and I'll not be long here, can I ask you this? What kind of soil are you? What kind of soil are you? Like, really be honest, ruthlessly honest. Don't just go with what you think or feel. The second group's very emotional and they had a lot of feeling. They had a very shallow head knowledge. That third group, I really believe, had great plans and they really wanted to serve the Lord and get right with God. They just never do. So don't go by what you feel. Look at the evidence. What does the evidence of your life say about how you personally have responded to God's Word? i got to ask. Is there anybody here this morning that if you and I were talking privately, you would say, Jeff, honestly, the Bible's mostly boring, and it's very hard for me to understand. I just don't seem to ever get it. Okay. We know where you fit. Maybe someone this morning, this describes you. You heard the gospel, and at one time, maybe you're watching online right now. You haven't watched in a long, long time, or maybe you're here today. You haven't been to church in forever, just kind of popped in today, perhaps. Is there a time in your life where hearing the gospel caused a burst of spiritual activity, but frankly, it fizzled out? Is there another group? Maybe this is you. Hearing the gospel has caused you to have a desire to live for God, but it just, frankly, never happens. It's always on the to-do list, but there's just not time right now because this life always wins out over your attention for the next life. You don't ever focus on the next. And believers right now are wondering, okay, hang on, Jeff. If these people just said, yes, that's me, it's boring, I don't understand, or yes, I, I started and then I quit, or yeah, I never actually make it part of my life. Well, Jeff, you haven't told them to do anything. Guys, I'm just going to be honest with you. If that is you, I think the best advice I could give you would be just to beg God for grace. Beg God for faith. I can't give it to you. I can't. If I could, I would. Like literally, you need to care about your soul. You say, it's boring, I don't understand. 
beg God, God, please give me understanding of this. God, please give me the faith that's needed to be saved. Lord, let me see Christ. Let me see Him as sufficient. Lord, let me understand this. I don't want to go to hell. Beg Him. Lord, God, take away all of the possessions. Lord, give me cancer if that's what it takes. God, I don't want to go to hell. I want to have a relationship with you. Money is lying to me. It is saying that it's just as good. It's just as satisfying. I want the real thing. Beg him. Beg him, guys. I can't help you. Beg him. I pray for you, but you have to beg God for help. And you keep coming to his house, and you listen, and you come begging him to show you. And if we need to talk privately, or if you need to get with another Christian and say, Tell me this privately. Go over it and over it and over it until I understand. Then let's do that. Christians, I'm just about to pray, but you know what? There are some folks here today, and this is the fact. It's not bragging. Here's the fact. God has steadily produced in your life the fruit of praise and a change of character and a change of behavior and converts disciples say Jeff what should we do then you thank God for grace thank God for mercy and you work with God as he's working in you if you're here this morning say Jeff I no doubt about it I have two or three of those fruit in my life it is undeniable but I have come up so short on what Paul wanted in Rome people I need I need to be fruitful there what could I do my advice would be beg God for grace and for faith and for understanding of a compelling gospel presentation that is exactly accurate and then I would tell you tell somebody this week Christians you with me let's all tell somebody this week ask them about their relationship with God ask them what they think it takes to have a relationship with God and I'll go ahead and tell you if you're a true Christian you already know more than you think you know get them talking if you're a true Christian you'll spot the inadequacy and the inaccuracy in their answer if it's there and just beg God to use you but learn a compelling gospel presentation. And let's become an evangelistic. You say, Jeff, soul winning? Well, that's up to God. If they get saved, that's up to God. But we can be an evangelistic church. Father, thank you for these people's patience. Lord, I would really, really love it if everybody in here is good ground. If they're not, Lord, would you just have mercy and grace and let them become good ground? And Lord, any of us that are trending toward tenfold and twentyfold, let us not be satisfied with that. Lord, let us be found faithful and fruitful. Let us be worshipers. Let us just beg your Holy Spirit to change us on the inside and come out in everything we do and use us to bring people to faith in Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for coming. Hope you'll come back next week. I'll try not to be so mean. Well, no. I, I think I already know where next week's message is going. It might not be any nicer.
but come back anyway. All right, have a great week.